Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. God is good. Amen. Wow. Say roller coaster. I've been riding them and I didn't even go to Cedar Point this year. Sometimes it's in those moments where you're like, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love me, that your grace is sufficient. Because how many know that we all go through stuff in life? And it's easier to hear someone else go through stuff and go, wow, that's, that really stinks, man. But then when you go through, you're like, whoa, this really does stink, you know. But praise God. Good stuff. It's funny Pete brings it up. We, uh, it, it's just funny story just to let you know that, you know, life doesn't always read your Bible, right? So we, we get to camp. We're one day at camp. You know, you know the first day, if, if you're a camper, you go and you set everything up. So, you know, half the day is driving and setting things up and doing that. We go to sleep, you know, have the campfire come. That's my favorite point. Everyone around the campfire is just enjoying life together, telling stories. And it was, it was awesome. Woke up the next morning, got a phone call from our uh, wonderful daughter-in-law, and she's like, your basement's floating. With the power outage of sump pump didn't run, and so our basement was flooded. So Ethan and I were up in like five minutes out the camper, two and a half hours away, jumped in the truck. We're heading home. We found a generator at Houghton Lake because there was none around the area, so we at least get the sump pump going. Two days dragging out carpet and pad and just flooded stuff, and... Whew, it was like, wow, you know. So we did get to enjoy two days of our vacation, though. Yeah, I got to enjoy my birthday at the campsite. Hallelujah. But, you know, it's in those moments you, you start to look through and go, there's always someone going through something worse. You know, and for the stuff we lost, it's not as much as others have lost. And so it's trying to, to, to play that, just do that game of life, isn't it? And know that, you know, just because you have emotions and feelings doesn't mean you're not in faith. Come on. Uh, it's just normal. In fact, people who like act like they don't have emotions, I'm sorry, but eventually in life, you just become weird. Because I'll say it in a different way, Pete. You get to a point where you stuff stuff down so much. Some, sometimes, let me just say this, and this might go against the grain of what you thought or taught, but sometimes when people say, how are you doing? If it's a close friend, sit down and say, not very well. This is what's going on. I think blessed and highly favored is a great answer. But sometimes you need to talk to people you're close with and say, it's not going so well in the natural right now. I need your help. I need someone who's on the other side who can see and help me through this process. You're following me. This isn't, this isn't negating faith. It's just saying, I'm honestly not feeling uh, real good right now. I'm not going through, I don't like the report I got. I'm going through this at work or this or that. And, and being honest with someone you can trust, who you know trusts your heart. And it's in those moments where they can help stir up that encouragement, that faith within you. Does that make sense? And so it's good to have emotions and feelings. I'm telling you, we stifle them down too long. I mean, you ever heard of midlife crisis? That's yeah, usually what it is. The soul can only take so much and we stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and pretend like everything is okay and eventually it manifests in some weird ways. Don't let it do that. Deal with it early. Amen? So, say this with me. Who is my enemy? Say it again. 
who is my enemy? That's the title of the message today. Uh, you know, I would say I, I mention this quite often, especially when I really saw the light, got revelation on this. Uh, Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about this idea of love of enemy. And I try to, uh, you know, talk about this, tackle this idea at least a couple times a year. How many know we just need to hear stuff and talk about stuff until we actually get the stuff? I heard one uh, pastor say this one time that, you know, basically there's like seven things we talk about all through the year on a Sunday morning. We just have different titles and series and, you know, different ways of saying it. But really, you know, let's be honest, there's just some main points in life that we need to hear about so we can grow in those areas. So today I want to start by doing this exercise together. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Everyone just close your eyes. And I want you to think of the person. Hear me out here. Eyes closed. I want you to think of the person that you despise the most. Yeah, you heard me right. I know we're in church, but I want you to think of the person you despise the most. The person who has caused you the most pain the most suffering, the person who has brought shame on you. I want you to picture that person in your mind. And then here's what I want you to do, eyes closed. I want you to feel the feelings. Is that bringing up any feelings in you? Now with that in mind, let's open our eyes now. I want to read this out of Matthew chapter 5. These are words of Jesus. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, listen to what Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Some translations say who despitefully use you. Anyone ever been used in life? Pray for those people. Now, how many would... would agree with me that you're like, Jesus, wait a minute, this isn't easy. Come on. Without a show of hands, just, you know, little nut. This is not easy, right? But look what he goes on to say. He says, in this way, what way? Loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Look at this. In this way, you show, or we could say you display, what? That you are children of your Father in heaven. Now, what this isn't saying is that you're not children of your Father in heaven if you're not doing this perfectly. It's saying when you do this, when you love your enemy, when you pray for those who despitefully use you or persecute you, you are on full display as a child of God. This is what God looks like. Isn't that interesting? Look at this. It goes on. And I love that Jesus goes on with this. Look at this. What does God do? Look at this. He makes his sun rise on people, whether they're good or evil. He lets rain fall on them, whether they're just or unjust. Can I get a come on? Because I would have to say, let me just use myself as an example. I think I've grown somewhat through this, but I wasn't like this. In fact, when somebody who I thought deserved something bad that happened to him, I'd be like, that's right, they deserved it. <laughs> oh, man. Look at this. If you love those who love you, do you deserve a reward? Even the tax collectors do that. Are you doing anything remarkable if you welcome only your friends? Everybody does that. 
That is why you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, this last statement can seem pretty harsh, can it? I remember reading this years ago and thinking, okay, so my goal now is perfection? Because how many, how many would say, if you were a follower of Jesus today, how many would say that God is perfect? I'll put two hands up to that. How many would say that you are perfect? There's no hands. Except one brother who kind of gets it. You're perfect in Christ. I get that. But even though this seems pretty harsh, like, you know, God wants you to live a life of ultimate perfection. I, I get that. But that's why it's so vitally important to understand the ancient languages in which scripture was written. This word perfect in the Greek is the word teleos. And it means this, full grown, adult, of full age. What's the next word? Mature, complete. So what Jesus is saying is when you begin to walk out love of enemy, which again is not easy, but can become easier. When you begin to walk out a life of love of enemy and praying for those who take advantage of you, praying for those who persecute you, you're beginning to mature. You're becoming complete in those areas of your life. Jesus is talking about living a life of maturity. Let me say this. He's literally asking us to grow up. He's saying, will you grow up and walk out your true and full identity in me? Because this is who you are. You are a forgiver. You are one who loves your enemy. You just don't know it yet. Awaken to your true identity. This is what it looks like to walk out kingdom life. Amen? So today I want to talk about this love of enemy. I want to talk about this idea of praying for those who persecute you, this idea of praying for those who despitefully use you. I mean, was this just something that Jesus said or better yet suggested if we feel like it on a Tuesday morning, but if not on a Wednesday, we don't have to? Or was he serious? See, when I read this, I see this as a command. Say command. Now, I've talked about this in the past, if you look at that word command in the original Greek, it literally means a new goal or ultimate purpose. It's not a necessarily a do this or else. Have any of you ever read command and you thought, I do this or else? No, there is an or else. And I don't believe it's God coming after you. I believe it's just the repercussions of going a different way, opposite of the kingdom life. But I do see this as a new goal, as an ultimate purpose that Jesus is calling us to, and that's loving our enemies. Listen, he's talking to a bunch of Jews on a hillside who, according to the law, listen, you take care of your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And Jesus just stepped up the game. He's saying, no, 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 you love everyone, including your enemies. Now, we definitely can't exhaust the full spectrum of this teaching by Jesus, but I think it's important to often remind ourselves that this is how the kingdom works. This is how we do it. <laughs> I mean, just take a look around you. Not in here, but just at the world in general. I mean, what do you see? You see this, this running theme of paying that person back. An eye for an eye mentality, right? And even I've struggled with this. And sometimes still can struggle with this idea of wanting to pay someone back for what they've done to me or seeing what they've done to someone else, an eye for an eye, thinking justice is served when they do their time or they get paid back. Come on. 
And unfortunately, we have to face the persecution, the harassment, the mistreatment of ourselves and of others. Maybe you've had this happen in your own life. I'd venture to say that every single one of us have. I've had situations in my life that to be completely honest, I'm not comfortable talking about my reactions to people. Wanting to put someone in a hospital. <laughs> you know, beat them down for what they had done to me. I'm an East Side Flint kid. That's where I grew up. And so we just, we just figured stuff out with our fists. That's what we did. Thank God for his love and grace. And, and uh, you know, he, he just does something to our heart and mellows us out. But there's times where I'm just like, mm, I just a good butt kicking would be great right now for this person, right? Come on, anyone here? And I will say it's been a couple weeks since I felt that way, so. He's still working on me. I've used this example before of fruit, where imagine if someone came up to you and they offer you a bad piece of fruit, this nasty, moldy fruit. Do you take it just because it's offered to you? You don't have to, right? If someone extends something to you, right? It's even like the gift of salvation. It's extended. It's a gift. How many know gift have to be, has to be received? That word receive in the Greek means to take. You have to take in order to benefit from it. But how many know you don't have to take everything that's given to you or offered to you? And so I often say, you know, do you have a, have you had a bad experience in life? Yes, we all have, but it's up to you to grab that bad fruit and hold on to it or to let it go. Just because the fruit's presented to you, you don't have to take it, right? And, and let me say this, this is really important for us to understand this morning, that love and forgiveness, it begins and ends with us. This is a choice that we have to make. We, we talk about this all the time, don't we, Pete, about love. Love's a choice. You, you talked about this last week. Wasn't that a great message last week? And I was telling Pete yesterday, I said, man, I got up this morning. I was just kind of praying and going over my notes. Holy Spirit, where should I go? And I kind of started putting all this together. And then I listened to your message because it didn't go live. We had some technical issues. But hey, Facebook, YouTube, I believe we're live this morning and you're watching, which is great. And so we ran it, I think, on Friday but I watched it Saturday morning while I was walking on the treadmill and it was just, it blessed me. It was so beautiful. And I thought, wow, what a, what a springboard for where we're going this morning. But think about this. Love is a choice. A lot of times we wait for the feelings. How many know that feelings come after the choice a lot of times? And so we get to choose the love and then the feelings of love may come along, but we get to choose love. That's the same thing with forgiveness. We, we talk about forgiveness. That's one of the big seven, right? Forgiveness. We have to let things go. But how many know this, that Truly forgiven someone doesn't mean that you feel it. You can choose to forgive even if you don't feel it. Because a lot of times we wait on loving or forgiving until I'm ready and I feel it because we think, well, I want it to be genuine. But the truth is love and forgiveness is a choice we make before many times we even have the feeling. Does that make sense? So you don't have to get offended at being given bad fruit. We can say, no, thank you. I choose not to have that. Uh, what do we teach our children as they're, they're growing up? Uh, you know, if, if, if you offer them something and they go, no, you say, no, thank you. Right? So you can do it in a, a courteous way. You, you can be, uh, you know, do this in a, in a loving way. But we don't have to receive the bad fruit. The writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 12. 
starting with verse 14. He says, try. That word try means to pursue. It's something you're following. Try or pursue to what? Live peacefully with who? Everyone. Do we really have to? Can we just cherry pick from the stuff we like in the Bible? Wouldn't that be fun? No, it wouldn't because in the end, you would not fully mature. You wouldn't grow to completion in areas of your life. How many know growth isn't always easy? Come on. It says try, pursue, to live peacefully with everyone. And look at this. And try to live what? Holy lives. How many know that word holy? It means separate. What I see is I'm not trying to do all the moves that look churchy and religious. It's living differently than the world system. The whole message of Jesus was what? Repent. Change your mind. Let's go a different way. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, it's within you. Awaken to this new way of life. Repent. Change your mind so you can actually walk in this new way of life that's always been there. I'm just revealing it to you. Isn't that awesome? So try to live holy lives, separate lives, different than the world system. Because if you don't, you will not see the Lord. I remember hearing this preached before at me and thinking, I'm not going to heaven. No, it says you won't see. That word see means to behold. You won't see what's right in front of you. Did you follow me? See, when you begin to approach scripture as a promise and not a threat, changes everything. If you're reading scripture and it's just all threats to you, you need to repent and change your mind. So when Jesus gives us hard commands like love your enemy, it may seem like a threat, but it's a promise to full maturity for you and a life that is so much better than holding on to the the anger, the resentment, the the bitterness that can happen. In, In fact, the writer says this in verse 15. It says, make sure that everyone has kindness from God, everyone, so that bitterness doesn't take root and grow up to cause trouble that corrupts many of you. This isn't just talking to people out there. This is talking to us too as believers. And I say this because I've been there. And I've seen that. Myself and others, I've seen where... We, we read the Bible, we go to church, we love Jesus, we're trying to follow Jesus to the best of our ability, but yet we can't stand that person. We'll walk across the street to not cross paths with that person or family. We hold on to anger and resentment and bitterness. And then we're like, praise you, Jesus. Now, again, we're all on different journeys, Right? We talk about that every Sunday. Pete talked about it last week. Someone else, I like what you said, Pete, that we all have the same goal, but there's different paths that are taking us there because we have to take different paths. I'm not you, you're not me. And isn't it beautiful that, that Heavenly Father will say, hey, come on, we're going to go this way. This is the way you need to go right now. Isn't that cool that Holy Spirit will move you and take you to where you need to go to learn, to mature, to be complete and be fulfilled? I think that's just so awesome. It's a personal relationship. But, but I've seen this where 
that bitterness takes root even in people in the church and it causes trouble and it actually corrupts people. Just even their way of thinking. Like they literally think, they'll say things almost thus saith the Lord. Anyone heard that thus saith the Lord thing? But it has, there's no love in it. There's no grace. There's no peace. There's no kingdom in it. And we actually can fool ourselves into thinking that's the gospel when it isn't. Just because churches are open all over the world on a Sunday morning and preaching doesn't mean it's the gospel. I had to make a hard choice. And we've literally had people leave the church because they want me to preach politics. They want me to preach a certain side. And I refuse. I preach the kingdom. Because, I mean, if you really are honest with yourself... All the systems of the world have some serious issues. The only system with no issues is the kingdom of God. Come on. And I don't know if I shared this before, but I remember I was studying the disciples. Man, Pete, I'm just bouncing off all kinds of stuff that you were talking about last week. But talking about the disciples who were all teenagers, we know this because of the, the inquiry when Pete told Jesus, we need to pay our taxes, where are we going to get the money? And he told him to use your craft to go fish. The first fish you pick out and have the coin in it, go pay our temple tax. And so we know that it was after the age of, was it 19 or 20, you would have to pay temple tax. The other disciples didn't have to. But you think of these disciples, and it's just, it amazes me that Jesus, see, sometimes we just go, you know, we, we see Jesus, he's floating like two inches off the shore, and he's like, follow me, and it echoes, and they're like, I don't know what reverb is, but this is amazing, right? And they just follow Jesus, but no, Jesus was a, a real guy who was calling these, these real young men into this idea of kingdom, and he had to teach them and train them. But as I began studying that, one thing that just, it just, it's still, I don't know if it blows my mind, it boggles my mind, it's just, it shows me how cool Jesus is. But you know, two of the disciples that Jesus called, one's name was Matthew. How many are familiar with Matthew? How many knew what Matthew did for a living? Tax collector. Yeah, we know all about them tax collectors, sinners and tax collectors. So Jesus called a sinner into his gang. Good job, Jesus. But Jesus called Matthew the tax collector, and tax collectors worked for who? Rome, the empire at the time that was occupying. He also called a disciple named Simon. Anyone familiar with Simon? Anyone know who Simon was? Simon the zealot. Anyone know what a zealot is? <laughs> it was people who despised and hated the Roman government. The zealots were the ones that would bring people together and bring up these insurrections and try to fight Rome. So you had one disciple, Matthew, who would be all the way to one side polarized, who was working for Rome. Are you following me? You had Simon on the complete other side. Come on, you're following me. Who was like, we hate Rome. This is what, this is what just boggles my mind. Jesus called people from extreme right and left together. And not once in all four Gospels, listen to this, not once in all four Gospels did I ever see Matthew and Simon get into a fighter argument. In fact, the only thing I see is they both were martyred for the cause of Christ. See, the kingdom, the way of Jesus, 
can bring anyone together. Because we choose to put all that on the back burner and make the kingdom the main thing. Come on. I'm not saying you, can, you can't have your views. We have, listen, we have the freedom to have all that, but sometimes we need to go, okay, you know what? Holy Spirit, do I need to put that down for a minute and focus on the kingdom right now? Because there's people, there's a world who is hurting, who needs salvation. What's salvation? Healing, preservation, safety, deliverance, restoration. They need this in their life. They need this in their heart. They need this in their body. They need something different than systems that have been offered to them that aren't working. There's only one Savior of the world. It's Jesus Christ. And so I just think it's so beautiful that Jesus could bring all right and left together. And at the end, they said the kingdom is the main thing. That is just so beautiful to me. And so we see in that story that they didn't let bitterness take root. They didn't let it grow up to cause trouble that corrupts, corrupts them. Now, yes, they had skirmishes and issues. It was usually, I want to be first. No, I want to be first, that kind of stuff. And Jesus would call them to the carpet on it, right? But by the end, all I see is, is these men who were martyred for the cause of Christ. Other than, than, you know, the Apostle John. They couldn't kill him. <laughs> he really understood. It's, by the way, that was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He spoke of himself. Uh, I, I think he really got the love thing, and that helped immensely. But this shows me that the kingdom of God can bring everyone from all walks of life. I don't care if you're neutral, Democrat, you know, Republican, black, white, Asian, gay, straight. The kingdom can bring everyone together in this common mission. And then we trust Holy Spirit is big enough to work on people's hearts in the midst of that. Does that make sense? It's beautiful to me. It brings such freedom. I don't have to be the pastor that's looking out and trying to figure everything out. Let Holy Spirit do that and love people along the journey. That's awesome. Besides Jesus, though, you know, just his life, his example of what it looks like to love enemy, I believe that Joseph from the Old Testament story is just a tremendous example of what it looks like to walk out love and forgiveness. And we're not going to read through the whole story, but how many are familiar, familiar with Joseph? He was a son of Jacob, also called Israel. And he was Jacob's favorite son. In fact, he even, uh, all of us know of the special coat, right? I mean, the, the, the coat of many colors that he gave him, which really, it just bestowed a favoritism upon him. And, and to make matters worse, I mean, of course, Joseph was only like 17 years of age when we pick up the story. Uh, to make things worse, Joseph would have these dreams. Like one time he had this dream, he says, hey guys, I had this really cool dream. You imagine me, he's at the breakfast table with him. I had this really cool dream. Oh, really, Joseph, what's the dream this time? He's like, yeah, so we're all out, we're gathering bundles of wheat. And all of a sudden, my bundles just stood up straight, and all your bundles bowed down to mine. Isn't that cool? And they're like, I hate this guy. <laughs> In another dream where he said, you know, there, there's a sun, moon, and stars, and they all began to bow down. In other words, you all bow down to me. And so it's one thing to have a dream. It's another thing to just tell any random person. And so it causes issue. There was this favoritism. And even with those dreams, it's interesting. Even though it was his, Joseph was his father's favorite, it even kind of started to irritate him a little bit. I think he could probably see what was going on with the brothers at this time. 
And so we pick up the story a little bit later. I mean, his brothers completely hated him because his dad showed favoritism. I mean, he was a little tattletale. Come on, anyone have a younger sibling like that? Uh Uh-huh. Don't hate him. Love him. Love your enemy, right? And then he had these dreams about them all bowing down to him, which actually eventually came true, right? But again, don't tell everyone your dream. So he ends up going out. His father sends his sons out. They're watching herds of sheep, their flocks. And so he's heading out, and it's interesting. This is how much they hated their brother. He comes into town, he says, hey, have you seen my brothers? And they're like, yeah, I think they went up over there. They took the sheep somewhere else. So he finally, you know, finds out where they are. He starts to navigate to this area out there. And as he's walking, it says that they saw him from a, a way far off, from a distance. And the first thing that comes to their mind is, let's plot to kill him. Their own brother. They want to kill their own brother. Here comes the dreamer. Yeah, we'll see how much you're dreaming tonight, buddy. Like, seriously, it was, we read it like a little story, but I mean, think about this. They literally wanted to kill their sibling. That's how much hatred he had become the enemy. And we could even say then that they were Joseph's enemy, right? You with me? And so they, Reuben, who I believe was the oldest, said, okay, guys, guys, we, we, we need to talk some sense need to talk sensible about this. Let's not kill him. That wouldn't be right. Let's sell him as a slave. Oh, okay. Thanks, Reuben. Thanks, brother. Love you, man. So they sell him as a slave. And then they get this little idea, like, let's take that coat that dad gave him, his favorite. Let's rip it up a little bit. Let's dip it in. Look at this. They killed a goat, it says. So they kill someone. They kill a goat. And what do they do? They dip it in the blood. They go home and tell the dad he was attacked by a wild animal. Case closed. It's over, right? Not really. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, the Midianites end up selling Joseph to Potiphar. We've heard this story, right? This is one of Pharaoh's officials. He's captain of the guard. Well, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to this handsome young man, Joseph, and she throws herself at him, and he refuses. So then she concocts a story and a lie, saying he tried to rape her. He ends up in prison. It's just a crazy story to think about. But now we fast forward, and you can read the story in Genesis, but we're going to fast forward because like 13 years has passed of betrayal and and hatred and, and lying and imprisonment. But through the gift of being able to understand dreams, he tells the Pharaoh what his dream meant, and he became the second most powerful man in Egypt under the Pharaoh. Now in this dream... He figures out the interpretation as a famine is coming. And so he puts together this plan and they begin to save their crops so they'll have enough when famine hits. Well, no one else knew about this little plan. So guess what? When famine hits, guess where all the other countries went to get food so they wouldn't starve? Egypt. Guess where the brothers end up? Egypt, in front of Joseph. Didn't recognize him at this point. Say, oh man. Because if this was a Hollywood movie, they wouldn't have lasted. They would have been in front of him, and then there would have been swords and heads flying. Come on, right? And we would have been, yeah, the end. Victory to Joseph for getting them back. But that's not what happened. In fact, he sets up his brothers and his father with a lavish life. He takes care of them. But at the end of Jacob's life, when he passes on, the brothers begin to worry. The story tells us they begin to fear because they think, 
I bet Joseph has taken care of us for our father's sake, but now he's gone. Now what is he going to do? Then the swords came out and the heads began to roll. No, that's not what happened at all. Look at this. Look what he says to them in Genesis 50, verse, start with verse 20. He says, you plotted evil against me. Is that true? He says, you plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. Say maturity. Say completion. Now, did Joseph have every right to feel feelings of hatred and betrayal? I wish I could say I would do the same thing in a situation like this. But he looks at the good. He's not saying what happened was good. He's not saying what happened was God's doing. It was man's doing. Right? You look around the world at the atrocities that are happening. It's man making decisions to do it. Not God doing it to people. Things that, that, I, that I don't like is when a hurricane hits an area and people say, see, God did that because of the sin. And I'm thinking, so it was just that one city? That stuff just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't line up with the God that I serve. And maybe we serve a different God, I don't know, but the God that I serve is displayed fully in Jesus. And we all know the story that when uh, James and John, when they were refused, in uh, one of the towns, they said, Jesus, should we call fire down upon this city? Just like the great prophet, Elijah. And Jesus says, you know, don't know what spirit you speak from. He challenged him, didn't he? He said, I have not come to destroy men. I've come to save men. So we know the heart of God. But look at this. He says, you plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. Look at this. This just, wow in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what had happened. That's, just say wow. Say it backwards. Wow. I mean, my dad would go on and he would say, say it upside down. Yeah, there you go. But I look at this story and I'm thinking, it wasn't just... God turned it into good, that I'm okay. He did it in order to preserve the lives of all these nations that would come and receive food so they wouldn't starve. Can you see his heart in this? See, he chose to have faith in God's restoration rather than faith in his personal retribution. It's a big difference. Not an easy thing to do. But look what he says in verse 21. He says, you have nothing to fear go can you, can you imagine like they're there before the second you know highest in command in Egypt and he says you have nothing to fear imagine the weight of of years that have come off their shoulders at this moment and he says I will take care of you and your children so be re look at this he said so he reassured them with kind words look at this that touched their hearts Man. Say maturity. maturity. Say growth. growth. Say completion. completion. I believe that we can handle life the same way. I'm not saying that in any way we're not trying to negate anything that's happened to you, that's been done wrong to you at all. 
But are we holding on to those things? Are we, are, we, are we saying, God, will you turn this thing that was meant for evil into good? I, get, I, I place this in your hands because in my hands, it might turn into unforgiveness and, and bitterness. And then it begins to corrupt us in so many ways. We have to be serious about this. We have to be honest with ourselves in these situations. But what we see with the decision Joseph made is that love wins. He forgives his brothers. He lets them off the hook. Have you ever found this, that when, when you're contemplating forgiving someone, because how many know there's always that moment like, I know I should, but I don't want to. What's one of the most major things that plays in your head? For me, when I've been taken advantage of or something's been done wrong to me, I think, man, they're going to get away with it. You ever feel that? But then I begin to realize that when I forgive people, when I let them off the hook, it's actually doing more good for me than it is for that person. And when I begin to see that holding on to the unforgiveness and bitterness is just corrupting me, it's, it's defiling me, I realize, wait a minute, I'm, I'm doing this for myself. And so that plays into this idea of loving your enemies. I mean, think about in Joseph's story, time after time he's betrayed, he's given bad fruit, we could say, for years and he deals with letting go of bad fruit, not allowing those offenses toward him to take hold, for bitterness to take root in his heart, despite being sold as a slave, false accusations, years of imprisonment, 13 years of things done to him that weren't right, that he didn't deserve. Just because he told his dream doesn't mean he deserved all that. Just because he refused part of his wife doesn't mean he deserved imprisonment, right? Sometimes stuff happens to us and we don't deserve it. It's not right what someone has done to us. And I think that's important. And that's the reason it's important that the writer of Proverbs 3.27 says this, whenever you possibly can, say whenever you possibly can. Do what? Do good to those who need it. It isn't if you get the chance, if you happen to be thinking of it, it's whenever you, in other words, you're pursuing, you're looking for opportunities to do good to those who need it. Why is that important? Because sometimes those people who have been betrayed, those people who have maybe had wrong done to them, maybe you're that person that helps begin the healing process in their life. And then you, in turn, are able to let go of your stuff, your baggage, Right? In the end, Joseph refuses to allow anger and resentment to win and allows love and forgiveness to restore and turn evil into good. And what we see in this story is through God's love in the heart of Joseph, he allows God to change the outcome. And I think a lot of times in this story, it's easy to read a Bible story and go, yeah, that's, that's a great story, Joseph, good job, yay for you. We forget that we have responsibility here and now. Listen, I'm all about the love and grace of God. There's no other way to live. His love should be the foundation of everything I do. No fear, mm -mm. love. If fear is present, there's no room for intimacy. There's no room for relationship. Love has got to be the basis of it, right? Grace has got to be the basis of it. But grace doesn't mean we don't have anything to do. We all have a calling in life. We have a purpose in life. And it's his grace that empowers us to do these things. And I believe, just like Jesus said, over 2,000 years ago, it applies today. We have a responsibility to love our enemies, to pray for those who despitefully use us, to pray for those 
who persecute us. Because God works through us. Say, he works through me. He works through us to bring peace, love, healing, and restoration to the world. You are the vehicle for the kingdom. Say, I'm the vehicle for the kingdom. Brings us full circle back to Matthew chapter 5. And I I love this uh, in the message translation. He says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Wow. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working. Isn't this cool? Then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish. To everyone, say everyone, regardless, the good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? (laughs) Tell us what you really think, Jesus. Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, here it is, say it with me, grow up. I thought Jesus loved us. He does. He loves you so much, he wants you to grow and mature and come to completion. Look at this. Grow up, your kingdom subjects. I like to say it like this. Your children of God. Display what God looks like. He says, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Listen, this isn't just some Sunday morning teaching and some pie-in-the-sky vision that we can never obtain. I believe this is something that can truly happen. We can come to a full-grown, complete, mature state of loving our enemies. Now, I'm not perfect in all this, But I would say if I look back six months, a year, five years, I'm not the same person I used to be. The love of God has worked on my heart. It softened my heart to a place where, honestly, I don't see enemies anymore. I I just don't. I might see someone who disagrees with me. I might see someone who believes things differently than I do. But do you know how much freedom it is to sit across the table from someone I just did this the other day. We sat across the table. We talked back and forth on some views. There were areas we completely disagreed with, but we walked away brothers who loved each other. There's such freedom in that. You don't have to agree with me to be in relationship with me. That's not what it's about. I have really come to the point in my life where I have love for those whom I used to consider enemies. And again, thank you, Jesus. Father has radically changed my heart to be open to those changes. And again, I'm not saying it was easy. Truth be told, it wasn't very easy at all. When I first really, you know, there's these moments on the journey where Holy Spirit brings you somewhere and you're like, I don't like this right now. I don't want to be here. Right? Anyone? But it's for our own good. To learn, to grow, to pursue things that he calls us to pursue. So as we close, I want you to close your eyes again. And I want you to bring back up that memory, that person that you thought of when we first began our talk today. 
But instead of focusing on the wrong that they've done to you, I want you to think of them in a different light. Be honest with yourself. Picture them as someone who maybe was abused growing up. As someone who had someone betray them in their life or in a relationship. Maybe they lost their job or their home or their spouse. Maybe right now in their life they're being ridiculed because they're different than those around them. What do you feel now? Do you feel a little empathy? Do you, maybe you have a better understanding? Can you feel some of the pain that they've gone through because you've gone through some of the same things in your life? It's in these times when we're open to thinking of who we would consider the other or the enemy as human beings just like us with the same pains, the same dreams, the same hopes, wins, losses, successes, and failures. It's in these moments that we begin to move into a place of maturity and understanding and completeness. Now look up here. That doesn't negate what someone may have done to you. Do you understand? But you have to choose what you're going to do in that situation or with that situation. But it does give us, I believe, a broader perspective of the why they may have done what they have done to you. In fact, Jesus gave the same example as he's hanging on a cross and he looks over all these people that just crucified him. Uh, you know, a, a man who didn't deserve this, right? And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, what a beautiful picture of love on full display. It's not like they, they didn't know they were crucifying a man. Oh, what, what's going on right here? No, they knew that. But the reasoning, the thought process that, that brought them to that place was skewed, and Jesus was aware of this. I pray that we become more aware of this in the lives of other people, that we see the humanity behind the actions that are done out of false identity. I want to close with this before we pray. This comes from a sermon entitled, Love Your Enemies, in 1957 by Martin Luther King Jr. Absolutely beautiful. Listen to this. Now there is a final reason, I think, that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period. Come on, this is truth. But just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There's something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for yet another opportunity to just talk together, to dig into the scriptures, to hopefully pick up more of your heart. 
towards humanity. More of your love towards us. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's struggling with this idea of letting someone off the hook, of, of forgiving someone, of actually walking out the love of enemy, that we're being challenged this morning. And that Holy Spirit, you're already revealing in our heart those areas that maybe we hadn't even seen before today where we're holding animosity, we're holding bitterness, we're holding unforgiveness towards a person. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for your love and thank you for your light. I'm open to you, Jesus. If there's an area in my heart where I'm believing a lie about myself, about you, or about others, reveal that to me. In Jesus, I give you permission into that area. Bring salvation. Bring healing. Bring restoration. And Holy Spirit, I know you're with me. You promise to never leave or forsake me. So help me in this journey to love my enemies. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Did you receive that this morning? God is good. I'm telling you. So just uh, keep these families in prayer through this week. We're believing for the best. Uh, we're standing on what God says, right? Uh, we know that confession is not saying things so many times that God finally hears you, right. right? Confession means to agree with. So we're saying what God says about these individuals. Can I get an amen? So as you're thinking about it through the week, um, just, just say, I agree with it. Thank you, Lord. Healing in Jason's body. Healing in Al's body. Uh, comfort and peace to the, the Jones family. Comfort and peace to Anna and her family. Amen? What's that? Yes, Michelle. Peace. And you don't have to bombard them, but definitely give them lots of love. And uh, she is so open to receiving whatever you want to give. Amen? So we're in this thing together. That's awesome. Well, we love you guys. And uh, next week, come back 10 a.m. And uh, have an awesome week. That's all I got to say. Peace out. <laughs> For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.